Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. This is episode one in a series of three where we're going to get into the detail, the benefits of top right thinking. And I'm delighted to be joined by Dulcie Swanston. She's a published author, writer, owns a training company, does some exec coaching around leadership, company culture, and is the owner of Top Right Thinking, which is going to be the purpose and the content for this mini series of three episodes. Hi, Dulcie. How are you doing? Hi, morning. Really well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, it's well, we're just recording the day after a bank holiday, so it feels like a Monday, <laughs> but it's a Tuesday. So um, it's, it's going to confuse me all week. <laughs> yeah, I've no idea what's going on. I've no idea what's going on. So uh, we've known each other for a while. You spoke at the Rethink conference last year. I think was a conversation we we're going to have in a couple of weeks about what you're potentially going to do for us this year. So all yeah. this, all this stuff is, is relevant. Um, before we get into the detail of Top Right and work through these episodes, let's find out a bit about you, though. So do you want to give us a, a quick career biog of who you are and what you've done? Yeah, gosh, um, I'll be as quick as I can. I, I think the probably the most relevant thing to say is that whilst I am classed as a sort of HR professional these days, I only moved into HR in my mid-30s. So prior to that, I was with a FTSE 100 initially changed into a 250 over time um but i was recruited into marketing um i worked in operations finance property um in hospitality retail so pubs clubs and restaurants and i think that's important simon that people know that when i talk about top right thinking because Whilst I'm a writer and whilst I, you know, write about neuroscience and psychology, um, in my heart, I'm an operator. Um, in my heart, I'm somebody who's wedded to productivity and to making a profit in the businesses that I run. And that all comes from my sort of operational background of, of you know, initially being an area manager um, for a pub and restaurant company. And, and it's that that sits underneath this desire to understand how people tick and how I can help people to be more productive Um and I think it's kind of the fact that I've got that in my background before I moved into HR and supporting people to be the best they can be that makes makes it particularly relevant and I think makes the conversations that we've had um, really exciting. Absolutely. And published author? Yeah, so I'm on my um, third book. So my first book was called It's Not Bloody Rocket Science. And I like to say that that probably sums me up. You can probably tell from the accent I'm from Sheffield. Um, And it's all about the psychology and neuroscience that sits underneath the way we behave. But I try and make it about common sense. So I try and take the science and help people to use science in everyday life as their leaders, as leaders. And then um, I've written a version of that for children, which is not available yet. I've done a journal version of that for people who prefer doodling to reading. And most recently, I've written a book on well-being, which came out of a lockdown project, which was in conjunction with Dr. Ian Price, who's an actual real neuroscientist. So I'll leave you to understand how I felt when he first read my book and got in touch. I thought he may be getting in touch to tell me I'd got some signs wrong. Um, I certainly had a bit of imposter thinking at that point, Simon. Um, But actually, he was sending me a message to say how much he'd love the book and um, he'd love to collaborate. So Dose is the name of the book on wellbeing. And um, it's 52 tips for 
really simple tips for just feeling better, getting more motivated. But again, they're all backed in science. So there's always that thread of what I do, which is the science, the research has got to kind of stand up to scrutiny for me to recommend it to clients. So uh, yeah, that's the thread. Good. And uh, hopefully Dr. Ian's going to join us on episode three, which will be good to hear his thoughts as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, we work together and separately. So it'll be interesting for him to critique what I'm saying and uh, add his own layers on. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be certainly listening into that for sure. Excellent. So let's get into the, the kind of crux of the conversation. So mm-hmm. top right thinking, what is it, I suppose, to start with for those people thinking this sounds interesting, but no idea what we're going to be what talking is it? about? Well, do you know what? I'm going to, it, we'll see if we can make the technology work so that I can draw it for the people that are listening, because it is one of those things where it's really, really simple, but it's probably more simple if you physically see it. So um, maybe we could insert something where people could have a look at it. Yep. But the idea is it's a two by two um, a BCG matrix by another name. So you've basically got a diagram where you've got um two uh, kind of boxes uh, four box grid uh two boxes on the left and and two boxes on the right and the idea is that if you label the axes so you label the left-hand axes with trust and you label the bottom axis with challenge you end up with a, a labeled um four box grid and the idea of top right is what that represents is conversations or a leadership style where you have really high levels of trust, first of all. So that's that's the, the number one. But then you use those really high levels of trust to also have high levels of challenge in your conversation or your relationships. And what we know about the human brain and how it works is that when you get that high trust and high challenge in, in combination at the same time, it's a real sweet spot for learning. And therefore, it's a real sweet spot for leaders. Because if people really trust that you've got their back, if people really believe in you as a leader and really feel that you are empathetic towards them, that you're being your authentic self with them, and that they can trust you as a person, they can trust in your intentions towards them, they will then accept very high levels of challenge from you, but without your body, if you like, perceiving that as a threat. And the importance of that is that when we're in threat mode, we're simply less clever. Um, Our threat mechanism triggers our fight or flight um, kind of you know, processes that go on in our bodies. And fundamentally, blood and oxygen leaves your brain when you want to fight or flight or freeze or appease is another thing that happens to us when we're threatened. And we simply can't do our best thinking when we are in that threat mode. So the beauty of top right leadership or top right thinking or top right conversations, because I use all of those different phrases, is that if you've got high trust, people will receive your really high challenge from you as a non-threat. It, they, they receive it as you intend it, which is to stretch their performance, to help them to achieve even higher levels of you know success. And it's a beautiful place to help people to occupy as leaders because people are more productive, but people are also fairly autonomous. So 
I've got all sorts of different training that I do with people to help them to occupy that top right space of high challenge and high trust. Um, I coach people with that as the kind of backbone to it, if you like. And um, I train other people to become coaches by also using that top right model, because in effect, as coaches, we build really high levels of trust with people. But then we ask people really challenging questions really searching things, really tough, you know, questions to answer and sometimes to ask. But the breakthroughs that we get as individuals when somebody asks us a top right question um, are phenomenal, really. And and that's the crux of it. I, I hope that came across all right without a diagram. But as we say, well, we'll put the diagram in and hopefully that will make it all make even more sense. Yeah, so just to bring that to life then, so we've got our four-box matrix, trust going kind of upwards, challenge going across the bottom, and yeah. we want to be in the, hence hence the name, the top yeah. right of that box, so high trust, high challenge. Yeah, and if you're drawing it for yourself, in effect, you're, you're drawing an axis where you've got high and low, and it, so low is in the bottom corner for both things. So if we take the opposite to um, top right, which is bottom left, You've there got low levels of trust and low levels of challenge. And as a leader, you might spend a bit of time in that box every day. That might be where you're doing your own work. For example, you've got your head down and you're doing things. So you're not taking any time to build relationships with anybody. You're not challenging people to higher levels of performance. But if you can imagine as a leader, if you spend too much time in that box or if you put off having difficult conversations because you don't quite feel as though you've got the relationship and you don't want to open a can of worms, you get really low levels of business performance over time if you're you know, sitting in that bottom left box too often. Um, the top left box, that's high levels of trust, but low levels of challenge. They're nice chats. Yeah, we, we you know, they've, they've, they've got a place that that's a time when we're being really empathetic with somebody, but we're not challenging them. Again, that's, that's okay. It's low conflict, but it can create quite low levels of energy and momentum. Um, the bottom right box, though, is a really difficult one that's high challenge but low trust and in that box this is where this threat mechanism can sometimes um, be set off for people so when we challenge people but we don't have enough trust we don't have a strong enough relationship that's where people can perceive our challenge as a threat and that's a point at which yeah you might get things done in the short term because people will do what they're told but you can trigger the stress response people have less brain power and actually it can stifle learning it can stifle sensible risk taking because we you know we're a bit in fear in that box we're we're trying to stay safe and therefore we just don't receive challenge well if we don't have genuinely trusting relationships in order so that challenge is received as we intended it i suppose it's fair to say we're never going to live in the utopia of always operating in that top right box i mean i'm just thinking about Mm -hmm. my career and some of the cultures i've worked in and some of the organizations i've worked for and some were absolutely in that high challenge probably low trust box driven by the company culture i have to say um some were probably in the top left box of yeah it's really nice place but we don't quite get a lot done yeah um and others have flipped between so is it fair to say 
you know, utopia is you always live in the top right, but you're going to bounce between those boxes dependent on situation, how you feel, the team you're working with. Yeah, it it is. And it's whether you are doing that intentionally or not. And this is what I talk to, to my clients about is if you if you know what the benefits and the disbenefits are of telling people what to do as a as a default mode as a leader, you can choose when it's a good time to tell people what to do and to broker no discussion. However, if you are doing that unintentionally, then you are probably accidentally stealing the opportunity to both help people to learn new things and you're probably stifling business performance. And that won't be your intention. Um, so, yeah, the, do you know what? Top left, which is nice chats. You know, how was your weekend? There's nothing wrong with that conversation. It's not challenging. But we have to be really careful that we don't just spend the whole of our business lives just kind of treading on eggshells and, and not addressing the elephant in the room. And ditto, I like you, I've worked in teams where it's been very command and control, very bottom right, very, um, you know, fear driven, very much led by somebody who, you know, wants it done their way, calls a spade a spade. And, and I work with leaders like that sometimes, and I just help them to understand what the unintended consequences are of leading in that way because when we know the unintended consequences we have choice and when we have choice we can decide whether or not we want to continue to lead in a way that perhaps we've got used to and feels comfortable for us but that neuroscientifically we now know isn't driving best business performance and that's the thing Simon with this is that when I first joined an organization so I'm I'm 51 now so you know neuroscience wasn't really around at that point we didn't really understand um you know scientifically that that kind of command and control you know quite you know macho culture that was operating in business in the 80s and 90s just doesn't work very well for the human brain we just didn't know that at the time we we didn't we we didn't have the knowledge that we've got now, and we probably didn't have many businesses around us that were doing things differently enough for us to learn from them. And that's the thing that neuroscience has, has helped us to understand what the most effective way to lead is in order to grow other people's brains. And if you grow other people's brains, you end up with a much bigger intellectual capacity in your business. So it makes a lot of sense. So I think that's why I say to people, yeah, the utopia is top right. And do you know what? We're human beings. Of course, we're going to move between the boxes, but move between the boxes mindfully. And if you accidentally end up in one of those boxes and didn't mean to, then get yourself out of it mindfully as well. Yeah. And it, it must be a challenge as well. I'm kind of thinking back to my time running retail shops you've got this kind of generational span now haven't you probably yeah i don't know baby boomers generation x y z and i I learned last week about the alpha generation which aren't even in the workforce yet Um, (laughs) and then you look through all their preferred styles you know from being controlled directed through to their thinking the alpha generation are going to it's going to be about inspiring having more of a co-creation or coach rather than a somebody labeled as my manager yeah pick all those different behaviors of individuals out again must be a challenge to try and keep pushing yourself into that top right box what what works for me might not work for you 
Absolutely. It's hugely challenging. And that's why I always recommend leaders learn to coach. Because fundamentally, if you listen to what somebody else needs from you and of you, you can deliberately provide what it is they're looking for. And coaching in its essence is listening really well and asking really good questions. But Google, um, years ago now, did a a project called Project Oxygen, and and they did zero-based budgeting, Simon, basically, for leaders. They took all of their leaders out of the business. Um, They reckoned, you know what, we're Google. We've got a queue of people waiting to join us, so we don't need to have leaders to kind of find people. Um, We've got really motivated people when they get here. They know what they're doing. So what's the point in leaders? So they took their leaders out to see what would happen. And Google, as you know, have got high bars for everything and their HR processes are no different. So they took their leaders out to see what would happen. Um, Happily for us who develop leaders, um, their experiment failed and actually business performance started to drop. But what they did was they only inserted the things back into the business as leadership behaviours or leadership kind of, you know, things that leaders did. They only inserted the things back in that people had genuinely missed, that had added value. And their top one was be a good coach. So they now train their top eight in as what they train their leaders to do. And The thing is that if you're a coach first as a leader, if you've got coaching skill, you'll ask questions from a a place of curiosity about what somebody wants from you, how you can help them. So rather than telling people what to do as a default position and rather than you having to flex infinitely and not really understand why you're flexing, you're asking somebody else to help you, to help them. And being curious and staying open to possibilities and and asking people what they need from you enables a leader to coach across those generations um, without too much trouble, actually. But I think that that looking back to that study at Google, I, I do think that's one of the reasons that, you know, coaching is so fundamental for leaders is that it's that top right box all over. Right. So you build really good relationships and then you have really open questions about what somebody needs from you and what you need from them. So it works across generations because it's not it's collaborative. It's it involves a lot of listening, but it also involves contracting to tell each other the truth. And I would say that across generations that does no harm whatsoever. No. No, I agree. Yeah, there's um, you hear of kind of people being wrapped up in cotton wool, don't you? People bumping yeah. around kind of the word snowflake in certainly the last couple of years since lockdown. And that probably comes back to some of this conversation of people not being told the truth or not being held yeah. to account or not being able to flourish in that environment. Therefore, they go into that uh, shell that you know fight or flight mode yeah. when they do get challenged because they're not used to it and they they ultimately just you know recoil and it becomes a threat yeah 100 percent. and but equally I don't broker any you know when people say oh you can't say anything these days and and you know you do you know what you can 
Um, but you have to build high levels of trust with people first. And that's not to say that there are some things now that, you know, 30 years ago you would have said and nobody would have blinked an eye and now people would. But you know what? If you've got really high levels of trust with people, if they really feel that you've got high levels of empathy, you can you can make an honest generational mistake and get called out on it and it's not it's not career devastating whereas do you know what if you've got really low levels of trust in your team if you um if you make people afraid you can bet your bottom dollar that if you say something that that's not very pc it probably will be career limiting because you just didn't have the relationship you know that that mutual trust where actually you can accommodate one another so it, you know I think it is quite difficult for older leaders sometimes because they do feel as though they're they're treading on eggshells. But as as a as a parent to teenagers, do you know what I learned from them? But you you've got to have that relationship where they allow you to learn. They're not you know you, you you're not <laughs> occupying so much of that um, authoritarian view that actually it's what you say goes. That just doesn't doesn't wash anymore it doesn't wash for leaders it doesn't wash as a parent either so it, you know I do think that's something that certainly having children has helped me with is to manage across generations and to understand generations but you, you've got to be open-minded and ask questions right which is the whole principle for being a good coach and being a good leader these days in my view absolutely absolutely so just to summarize episode one there then we will put the video up that you've drawn of the um four bots quadrant and the line to top right but the fundamental kind of um theory behind it and the, the neurosciences around getting people in that zone where they are comfortable to go with you on the challenge it doesn't become uh, a threat to them and they therefore go into their shell and that's typically based around the whole coaching model of listening asking the right questions and you know nine times out of ten the, the people that you're speaking to they'll have the answers right and yeah. a, good, a good coach won't give the answers those answers will will come from conversation thought that the people that you're speaking to because otherwise you end up kind of defaulting back to the the tell mode almost which is a, a spectrum of coaching it has to be said yeah yeah but um isn't where we want to be sat all the time and i, I think the, the really encouraging thing for me is and and being really clear that you know in an ideal world, we'd all want to be top right all the time. But as humans, it's it's just not possible. But from the work you do, it's around making those conscious thoughts around what box am I in currently and probably yeah. what, what box do I want to be in and be perceived to be in. Yeah, 100%. And you, you said something really interesting there about telling people what to do. Telling people what to do has its place. Yep. And again, as, as mum to what was five teenagers, but one's in their 20s now, um, I, I joke quite often with clients that I'm a big fan of telling people what to do because there is a point in time where you aren't brokering any discussion. But you are really clear at that point that that is what's happening. I'm telling people what to do because it's the right thing to do under these circumstances. And that's not coaching, but you're doing it mindfully. Equally, um, teaching people and mentoring, giving advice, um, that's a very deliberate thing to do. But quite often we do it by accident. We, we tell people what to do and we give advice when actually we'd be better off listening and asking questions for a while. And I think just 
having those relationships where you you can ask a really challenging question of somebody before you tell them what to do means that you just get there faster. There is a myth, Simon, that coaching it takes longer. And it, do you know what? Probably the first time you do it, it does. But after that, you start to open up and save time because you've got two brains in the conversation, not a traditional leader who's telling somebody what to do and you know somebody who's subservient who is accepting that instruction you've got two adults who are deciding what the best thing to do is between them and for me that's that's the essence of the top right box it's it's collaborative excellent so we will pause there and end episode one we're going to come back in episode two and sue's going to join us and we're going to talk about some work we've done together and some of the benefits and interesting insights that we saw. Perfect. I'll speak to you next time. Can't wait. Thank you. See you soon. Bye-bye.